Hey folks, Dave Bodemer here. The show is taking a break for the holidays, so we've selected one of our most popular episodes from 2023 to run this month. Also note, in 2024, we will be back with a new podcast, the Wealth Management Invest Podcast. In this show, I will delve into the strategic insights of financial advisors and chief investment officers from leading RAAs, including talking about the increasing adoption of alternative investments to enhance the conventional 60-40 portfolio. Episodes will showcase engaging discussions with top asset managers, shedding light on the ever-evolving landscape of private investment offerings, including private equity, private debt, real estate, infrastructure, hedge funds, and many other strategies. We'll also look at the latest developments in traditional ETFs and separately managed accounts. In the meantime, we hope you have a happy holiday and enjoy this replay episode of WMRE Common Area. Welcome to WMRE's Common Area podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at WMRE. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. David, it is good to be back with you. How are you? I am doing well. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I uh, got a chance to chat with the guest when I first joined the meeting today and and uh, pretty knowledgeable guy. I'm pretty excited about what you guys are talking about. Yes, just yes, should be a good one. So we have with us today, uh, Capital Square co-CEO, Lewis Rogers. So welcome and uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to an exciting discussion with you today. Cool. Uh, so just to you know, get the ball rolling, um, if you want to take a minute and uh, explain who Capital Square is and maybe a little bit about your background as well. Absolutely. I'm an attorney by training and I started, it seems like a very long time ago because it was a long time ago, in 1984, graduated from law school and started as a tax lawyer, young baby tax lawyer. And my first project was something called a 1031 exchange. Have you ever heard of one of those? Oh, yes. Yes. So they said, you know, we have this new machine called a Lexus thingamabob. <laughs> Can you research what like kind means in this code section that's been around since 1921? And being a trusty young associate on my first job, I, I went into a closet, turned on this Lexus machine and started uh, researching like-kind exchange. That was in the spring of 1984. And guess what? To this very day, we're still working on 1031 exchanges. It's been an amazing run. How one little code section has changed my life, along with hundreds, probably thousands of investors who've done exchanges and been able to improve their financial lives by deferring the tax instead of paying it. That job researching 1031 led to a number of other interesting tax projects. I was a part of the early real estate investment trust group that did the started the non-traded REITs. Remember mm -hmm. those? Mm -hmm. In the early 90s, they blossomed and gone full cycle and now they're traded REITs. And then uh, in the early 2000s, uh, we took a concept uh, I was asked, can we divide up a building into pieces and sell them as tenants in common? And right. the answer was, yes, we can. And we did billions and billions of those. It led That work led to the revenue procedure uh, for tenants in common. And then over the last 20 years, we've morphed into using a Delaware statutory trust based on a revenue ruling from the IRS. And so 
I feel I've gone full cycle working every day on 1031 exchanges. Uh, nowadays, it's Delaware Statutory Trusts, not Tenants in Common, mm-hmm. but it's the same mission, helping property owners who want to sell their property for, for a number of reasons. Some some have actively managed property and they want a passive property. Some want to get out of the tenants' toilets and trash, have an offer too good to be true. They don't want to pay the tax. And so they have to do an exchange. They don't want to find and manage another property. And so the Delaware Statutory Trust, a passive structure, has become the ultimate solution for these ladies and gentlemen. My company's Capital Square. We started by specializing with the DST programs 10 years ago when we were just getting over the the Great Recession from 2008. In 2012, we came out of it. Capital Square launched the first Delaware Statutory Trust. And we've since since that date done 160 properties, going on 7 billion of real estate. Last year alone, Capital Square purchased over 2.2 billion of real estate in the DST program. It's worked beautifully. That business has evolved into a development business. For the opportunity zone funds that we'll talk about, where we buy a lot and build a building, and the investors in the opportunity zone can defer and exclude their taxes. And we'll talk about 1031 and ozones. And that business in turn led to, to Capital Square's real estate investment trust for regular discretionary capital for stable returns and appreciation. And that in turn led to development funds for higher return and uh, quicker results. And so Mm. all of that goes full cycle. It's all real estate. It all has tax advantages. And and, uh, there you go. Yeah, it seems like there's just a a lot of different flavors now when we talk about some of this tax advantage space and the ability to take those capital gains and cycle them into uh, a new investment and now have a few different ways you can do it. Because I think, you know, I mean, I've been writing about 1031s forever, but as you talked about DSTs, Sure. You know, so kind of come around more recently. I just hear a lot more about that being a really great vehicle because it both, like you said, enables folks to kind of pool and maybe get a more institutional quality, larger asset, perhaps, or also just be, you know, less connected to some of that day to day. So um, it seems like it's really kind of been this a, a very popular option now for folks who are in this position where they need to exchange into something. It is, and it, it solves a need especially with the aging baby boomers who are really tired of the tenants, the toilets and the trash (laughs) and want a happier lifestyle. They don't want phone calls in the middle of the night. They do want to sell their actively managed property, but they don't want to pay the tax. And that means they have to exchange. I've been doing exchanges from since 1984. And the one flaw in 1031 is that you have to buy another piece of real estate. (laughs) The DST solves that flaw by providing a sponsor. The sponsor sources, conducts the due diligence, uh, finds the replacement debt, because under 1031, you reinvest your equity, but you have to have equal or greater debt. So the sponsor finds the property, conducts the due diligence, negotiates the loan for Capital Square, typically multifamily. That means Fannie Mae. Mm-hmm. The investors are not personally liable. It's a non-recourse loan. 
I'm personally liable as the key principal, but that's the way it should be because I'm in, I'm responsible. I'm the one running the show, but not the investors. The investors don't even have to submit a financial statement. No bank will ask them to update their financials or even ask for their name or information. Uh, the sponsor, Capital Square, is is basically the contact for the loan and responsible. So the DST solves a lot a lot of those problems. And yeah, can you talk about some of the, you know, maybe some of the kinds of assets that you've used uh, the DST structure on in the past, sure. you know, year or so? Sure. The, the DS, it makes me laugh. Investors say, what does a DST property look like? And being a <laughs> smart aleck lawyer, I say, it looks like a property owned by a DST. And they go, that's not funny. So we should, <laughs> basically, any most any real estate asset can be used in the DST structure. The tax rules require a master lease, and that's fairly typical. Uh, but Capital Square started with net lease properties. And typically medical, we're very bullish on medical properties and industrial properties when we started. And the net leases worked great. They work great until they don't. You have some advantages. If you think about the classic net lease, it's a Walgreens. Right. What could be better than a Walgreens? You have a credit tenant. You have a long-term lease. You have a triple net lease where the tenant pays the taxes, insurance, maintenance, and repairs. And it's a magical thing until it's not. And it's not when Walgreens decides to go dark. Right. And when they go dark, if you have a loan in place, the lender sweeps your cash flow. And so that's a serious challenge. Also, a, a challenge with all the net leases. Uh, our, our friend, uh, Brian Mick, if you know him from from the Midwest as a due diligence officer, he said says that a net lease is like holding an ice cube. It melts a little bit every day <laughs> till it goes away. The value goes down over time as the lease term rolls off. Now you can renegotiate and get new term, but it, it can be challenging as you get to the end of the term. The DST structure requires the sponsor to sell when by the time the loan matures. If you have a 10-year lease and a 10-year loan, it's going to be hard to sell in year nine with one year of lease term. So that that was a challenge for Capital Square when we started. We liked net leases. We morphed into medical. And we really liked medical with a certificate of need because the tenant can't go dark. It's one of the advantages when you sign on as a, as a medical tenant, you're committed to being there. And we did a lot of Fresenius dialysis clinics. Hmm. They ran up in value until the, the economics were not so great. And over time, this is over the course of the last 10 years, I, I've learned as a lawyer representing sponsors and then being my own sponsor, Capital Square, I've learned that, that multifamily properties have more optionality, they have more flexibility. And so about five years ago, Capital Square changed the focus instead of just doing the net leases, the medical and industrial, and we like industrial a great deal. We shifted uh, to multifamily. Instead of having one tenant that could go dark or go bad or go bankrupt. And you know, when a when a net lease, net leases are great until they're not. And when they're not, there's there's virtually nothing you can do because the tenant runs their own shop. Uh, they're on the lease. 
if they go bad, you have an empty building. The multifamily is sort of a, you might think of it as sort of a nightmare because you have, you know, 300, 300 tenants. Right. All day long, people are coming and going and leasing and you have to manage this very active property. But that's, but that's an advantage in, in the world of risk of uh, inflation. Every time we renew a lease, it goes to market. And last year, the market was approximately 12% higher. Right. In last year. It was a very good year for multifamily rents. Very good year. This year might be 4%. Next year yeah. might be 3%. But every year we can adjust to market. Even going back to 2008, when the world ended for me, mm-hmm. I, I was done. My life was over. <laughs> I thought I'd never have a job again. Even then, the multifamily properties that were in REITs and funds and tenants in common did just fine. They didn't go back to the lender because the landlord was able to renegotiate the leases. So you give a gift card. So you give a month of free rent, but you stay full. And when you do those things, you don't lose properties to lenders. Compare that to the classic suburban office building in 2008 that was going back to the lenders like crazy. Multifamily, even in our worst recession, did just fine. So kind of big picture. Capital Square changed the focus to multifamily. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have f- 55 multifamily properties in the 1031 DST platform. That's about 14,000 units. And every day it's a very active business. It takes a lot of people to run it and manage it, but it works great. We are 96% occupied. And through the pandemic, think back to February of 2020. Again, we we thought the world was coming to an end, right? Maybe it was. We were we were working from home. We're having our our asset management calls on Zoom or Slack in that in those days, and we're asking our asset managers, "How are the apartments doing? How are we doing on our apartments?" And they said, "Fine." And I said, "How are we doing? Fine. We're in a global pandemic." And the asset managers said, "Well, guess what? We're ninety nine percent rent collected." Our residents have jobs and they need a good, clean, safe place to live and work because they're working from home. Remember the first time you were at WFM? Yeah. And are you pregnant? Are they um, your multifamily assets? Are they suburban, garden style, or urban? What good. what good part question. of the segment are you in? Good question. We are we are typically suburban, garden style some townhomes and some high rises. Again, it's a it's a little bit of a story to explain it. We were typically your garden style class B value added apartments to start. Okay. And over time started buying nicer, newer properties. In that same pandemic, we stopped and we said, gee, why don't we buy the brand new properties coming off lease up? And that way we don't, the value add is great, but remember inflation, materials inflation and right. labor inflation, the cost of turning those apartments was was a challenge. And so we started buying brand new properties coming off lease up. That, that created a little bit different challenge on the financing. Remember that your exchange investors have to match their debt from their mm-hmm. relinquished property. They have to have equal or greater debt on the replacement property. Typically, we've been borrowing from Fannie Mae, 
They've been a phenomenal lender for Capital Square starting about five years, six years ago. We were we were possibly the first DST sponsor uh, to have a, a relationship with Fannie Mae. Uh, Walker and Dunlop, the, the great DUS lender, mm-hmm. introduced us to Fannie. We spent a great deal of time educating them, and they found that our our multifamily properties were good, safe, clean places to live, and we were a good manager, and we've since done 40-some, 40 40-plus 40 loans with Fannie Mae, but Fannie is good on, is, is best suited where there's affordability, not on the brand new Class A expensive properties. And so again, Capital Square morphed into a life company. We went to the life companies, the, the New York Lifes of the world and many others. And they said, gee, we like your management style. We like your properties in the mid-Atlantic through the Southeast, Texas and Tennessee. And so we started financing brand new class A plus properties coming off their initial lease up with life companies. And that has turned out to be a, a phenomenal line of business. Those residents have good jobs. And we were very fortunate during the pandemic because we had nice properties, high-end properties. Our residents were typically able to work from home. We didn't have the unfortunate circumstance where they worked in a restaurant or a hotel that was closed. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't have many of those problems, but we were very aggressive in applying for government programs. It's an interesting story, but when the pandemic hit, we broke, broke down into teams and called every resident in every apartment to say, do you have a problem? What can we do to help? And just like the 99% rent collection, over 99% said, we're okay. We just need a good, clean, safe place to live and work since we're living and working together. Less than 1% had a problem. We very aggressively applied for those government programs and collected most of that rent. And so uh, thank goodness for those programs. They really helped get us over to the other side. Uh, And now we're still actively buying in the Southeast our headquarters is in Richmond, Virginia. Okay. We have we have a number of properties in Virginia through the Carolinas, Georgia, very very uh, desirable Florida, Texas and Tennessee. We typically go for a secondary location, always where there's job growth, where there's great vitality, but we don't typically go to Austin. We would okay. typically go to Denton. We typically go one one rung further removed from the most expensive areas to get a little better cap rate. And we found a very nice niche in in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And for a time, we're the most prolific buyer in Chattanooga. For a time, we were the most prolific buyer in the mid-Atlantic. We're constantly moving, looking for that optimal risk-adjusted return where the job growth is there, the stability is there, and where uh, we feel good about a 10-year a hold. The, the DST properties have to be sold when the loan matures, but we've right. been able to sell them in less than five years, and we've been earning very close to two times equity multiples. Now, these are the safest properties you can buy. They're designed for stability. We have thousands of retired investors' money. 
and we have a duty to preserve their retirement. And so we buy safely. But what we found is that the best properties have the best returns. Right now, well, we'll, when we morph to opportunity zones, uh, we'll talk about how the very best properties fill very quickly and the rents are high. And are you predominantly working with um, accredited investors exclusively? Yes. yes okay. Exclusively accredited investors. That's a standard. I did did one of the first ticks back in the in the late eighties, and we decided as a, as an industry that accredited investors could bear the risk. Mm-hmm. In that day, it was a tenant in common investment, and it was a lot riskier than today's stabilized, almost boring DST that buys really nice stable properties. With low leverage, yeah. right? I mean, there was a day when you'd have 60, 70, 80% leverage. Today, you're in the 40s, maybe 50% leverage. So it's it's a much lower risk profile today than it was 25 years ago. And so you have all these different structures. Like you have the TSTs, you got the opportunities on fine, you have a REIT. Re- How do you, do, and I think you do some LLC as well. How do you just, you know, both from an investor level and also sort of a big question here, but like, how, you know, how do you decide or recommend to certain investors what they should do? And also how do you pick the assets for sure. those different kinds of structures? In my mind, there's a matrix and it evolves around the tax benefits and real estate has something that, that stock jockeys don't know anything about. If you have friends who are financial planners, wealth managers that do stocks and bonds. Right. We tell them we have this thing called depreciation. Right. <laughs> they say, I don't understand. Your assets appreciate. You know, you you sold 12 properties and you had 188% return to the investor. How is that a depreciating asset? And we say, well, as a matter of tax policy, because real estate wears out, we're allowed an, an allowance for depreciation. And so over time, we can deduct our cost in the real estate. And that deduction is an offset from the rent that reduces our taxable income. Right. And by virtue of the depreciation, we have higher returns than stocks and bonds. And they go, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Your property depreciates even though it appreciates. Yes, well, it's an allowance for depreciation because of the wear and the tear and the opposite. It, it's a hard asset. So it's got, you know, real effects happening to yes. us. Yes, yes. And that makes our returns, you know, 30, 20, 30, 40% higher uh, than just the coupon return. So we, we start with the discussion about depreciation. And that's a part of all of the real estate investments. Uh, and then you, you drill down and you say, Mr. Investor, let's talk about your situation. What what do you have? What is the topic today? And they say, well, I'm selling my investment real estate. Okay, mm-hmm. great. That's section 1031. Right. Under section 1031, you can do a like-kind exchange. You can reinvest in a replacement property. You could buy a whole property, a rental house. Oh God, no, I don't want another rental house. I had one of those. You could buy a net lease. I don't have enough money for a net lease. Or you could buy a DST with this little a minimum of as little as $50,000. Oh, great. I have 250. Can I diversify? Yes. You could buy three, four, five of them if you want. And so that's, that would get you into the DST box for discussion. The DST is a very tight box under the revenue rule. 
and has to be managed by a sponsor. The mm -hmm. sponsor does everything turnkey. The investor gets a distribution every month by ACH, a report every quarter and a tax package, uh, an asset manager, an investor relations person to call, and a portal with all your data in it. It's a very pleasant place to clip your coupons. The investors like mailbox money, but nowadays the mailbox is the ACH into your bank account. Right. That gets you into 1031. Investor says, well, I sold I sold stock right. or bonds or whatever, crypto and have a capital gain, or I sold a business mm -hmm. or I sold a valuable asset. I have capital gains. We say, oh, great, capital gains. That gets you into the opportunity zone fund. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And under the ozone, you can defer and exclude your capital gains. It's a little bit complicated and it's a little bit different than 1031. You, you can also uh, use cap use opportunity zones for real estate. And it's just a function of whether you like the parameters of ozones, because the way the ozone works is for capital square, we're on our eighth ozone. All of ours are identified. We identify a lot. We say we're, we have bought this lot in a qualified opportunity zone. We're going to raise capital to build a building. And we do that with a construction loan. Uh, we we build a building on the construction loan. We fill it up. We stabilize it. We, we replace the construction loan with a permanent loan and make a cash out distribution to the investors. That gives them tax, gives them cash to pay their first tax that's due in their 2026 tax return. And then we hold that asset for 10 years, at which point we can sell the building that we built and they have no tax to pay for ever. No tax to pay ever. Deferral and exclusion, the tax that's deferred, we do our best to cover with the cash out refi. And so far we've been able to cover it uh, without a problem. And then we sell and you have tax forgiveness. So that is a development business. That's a construction business. That's buying a lot in a qualified opportunity zone and building a building and then managing it, leasing it and selling it in 10 years. Where the, the DST is buying existing properties Right. 1031 doesn't allow for a construction exchange. You have to buy a completed piece of like-kind real estate. Right. And again, the DSTs, it has to be capital gains from real from a previous real estate asset, whereas opportunity zone fund, you can take any capital gain or any any That's any from any kind of previous investment and roll it into an opportunity zone fund. Correct. Any capital gain, and it could be from real estate. We have mm -hmm. people who have blown their exchange or didn't know about 1031. Don't know how that's possible at this day and age, but some people say, oh my gosh, nobody told me. Well, you can still invest in an opportunity zone fund. You have a right, because the 1031 days. has that clock on it, right? You have to do yes. it in a certain time time frame, but once you cash out of the, of the first asset. It has a very tight clock. It also has a very tight parameter. The funds have to be held you know, by a qualified intermediary and you have... To us, it's very simple, but to people that have never done an exchange, it seems fairly complicated. Right. <laughs> so but, you've been doing it for 40 years, so you could do it in your sleep. Other people have never done it before think it's, you know, this magical process. <laughs> it's still a magical process. I, I've seen families that 
the 1031 changed their lives mm-hmm. by generating excess cash flow. The, the typical exchanger is not a billionaire. They typically look like your parents. Mm-hmm. They bought a rental house. They bought a house and lived in it. And then they moved to a bigger house and started renting out their old house. And 25 years later, it's worth a million bucks. I see. That's their retirement. And that's the beauty of the exchange is instead of paying a couple of hundred thousand in tax, they can exchange and reinvest a hundred cents on the dollar. Those tax dollars that would have gone out the door are now generating a return. And when that taxpayer passes away, God forbid, it's a shame, uh, but the heirs get a step up in basis, Mm -hmm. at which point the tax essentially goes away. So the, the, uh, the ozone tax goes away in 10 years for 1031. You have to die to make the tax go away. You can just exchange every, you know, every, you can keep doing exchanges as Abs- long as. Yes. Know, we, call it, the other. we call it swap till you drop. <laughs> I've not heard that before. Okay. And uh, our, our clients, our investors are serial exchangers. That's, doesn't mean that they eat Cheerios. That means they exchange over and over and over again. It's intentional. They're building up their equity. They're also building up the tax because every time you do an exchange, you go into a new property and you depreciate that property, which lowers your basis and increases the gain when that day comes. But most of our investors, that day will only come when they pass away and the tax is basically forgiven. So Either way, there are many many roads to Rome, and you can get there if you have investment real estate through 1031, or you can get there through the ozone if you have any capital gain. And then there are a couple of more opportunities if you have just cash, just regular after-tax cash. um, You can invest in a REIT, a real estate investment trust. Mm -hmm. Even REITs have tax advantages because of the depreciation and the that benefit flows through to the REIT stockholders. REITs typically buy the, the, the most stable assets. Uh, they have strong income and growth and tax benefits. And the tax benefits can be huge. Capital Squares REIT has a dividend of about 5.5, but the after-tax equivalent is closer to 9 where you're going to get a 9% return on a very stable asset. And it's a, it's a non-traded REIT. It, it's a reg D it's a non-traded REIT. Yes. It's a, a private placement REIT and it's capital square apartment REIT. And it works really well for your so-called qualified funds, not to use a lot of jargon, but your pension plans, your IRAs, your 401ks mm-hmm. REITs work beautifully because there's no, Again, to use more jargon, no UBTI, no unrelated business taxable income. And they generate stable income and they grow over time. And so for your discretionary cash, a REIT works beautifully. For your qualified funds, REITs work beautifully. And you know the, there aren't as many people with real estate gains or even capital gains as cash sitting in their money market account. And so the REIT is a good place to stash cash or those old IRAs or 401ks from three jobs ago that you forgot about. And I know we're, I mean, hearing a lot about redemption requests on non-traded REITs. Is that something you're 
dealing with? We haven't had a haven't had an issue with it. There have been some very large companies that have enormous sums in their REIT, and some of them had a run on the run on the bank, so to speak. But we haven't had any any issues in our REIT. Thank goodness. And then there's there's one more one more sleeve in the matrix, and that's oh, sure. just, just regular cash. And you say, you know, I I I'm, I don't have real estate to sell. I don't have a capital gain. I have money in my money market account, and I don't want it to sit sort of perpetually. The, the REIT's a long term. You put money in for for the rainy day when you need it. In the meantime, it pays a nice dividend you can live on. But what if you had a shorter term horizon, a couple of years? Those are your development LLCs, okay. uh, where funds are raised to develop a new community, a new apartment community, a new build for rent community. It could be. I enjoyed your podcast on build for rent communities. That was very, very timely and very good. Well, thank you. And that's that's a short term hold, and it's a very high return relatively, because you are participating in the in the risk of development, and that should pay a higher return. Than buying a stable property that's already built and leased, and that's that's the matrix from real estate to capital gains to discretionary cash to qualified funds. Real estate has a place for all of those sleeves, and the tax advantages ripple through, creating higher return. The investors really like real estate because it's a hard asset. Right. It's typically not discretionary. You know, you have. Especially in multifamily, people say, gosh, you have to have a roof over your head. And it gives people comfort that it's something tangible, not like the like a crypto.com thing that we can't understand. Yeah. Or technology company that I I mean, I just I don't understand them. I understand an apartment. I understand a medical office building. I understand an industrial building. All those things make sense to me and also to Capital Squares six plus thousand investors who who like the real estate well cool well um we've been going for a while so um i you know appreciate you breaking this all down this has been very helpful i find this you know i mean this stuff very fascinating especially these various tax angles and some of the different nuances to it so that talking about it in terms of a matrix is a really really good way to break it down. So I appreciate that. But if you have any, you know, final words you want to share with the audience before we wrap this up? Yes, it's a challenging economy out there. It's somewhat scary. What happened yesterday in the stock market? Call it a bloodletting? Yeah. Yeah, This will come out again a little bit later. So we're talking about early first week of March, the bloodletting. Yeah, I mean, stock market, different markets went down, what, 5% or so? Yeah. We collected our rent yesterday and our properties are doing just fine. And so I I had a good night's sleep. The market's volatility didn't scare me at all. Uh, it's It's a very strange recession that we're in. We have, you know, 14,000 residents who have good jobs and they pay their rent on time. And they have happy lives and everybody's going about their business. So it's a it's a strange recession. It's different than in 2008 when people were losing their jobs, right? didn't have money. That was really, that was frightening. Right. 
this recession is just it's just such a different feeling um and it's i guess it's a financial recession and not i know food prices are are outrageous and you know a dozen eggs cost crazy crazy money for eggs but fundamentally people have jobs and they have money and you know life is basically pretty good other than things costing too much so it's it's nice to be in multifamily it's nice to be you know fully occupied and uh, it's nice to have flexibility because every year all of our leases come up for renewal and in in a recessionary time typically we can raise the rent equal or greater than recession if it were a terrible time like 2008 we could cut the rent to stay full and according to Peter Linneman, the famous Wharton economist, mm-hmm. if you've invested in multifamily for the last 44 years, you've never lost money in 44 years in multifamily unless you over leverage it. And today we're about 45% leveraged on average. So feel very good about the safety and stability of these assets. And uh, really for, for a recession, I couldn't be much happier. <laughs> Well, that's a good note to end on. So thank you again for coming on the podcast and uh, sharing all your insights. I appreciate your having me. Thank thank you. And I enjoy your podcast. I'm going to go listen to a couple more on the way home. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks. Gentlemen, this has been fantastic. Again, I'm just going to echo what, what David said. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, David. Of course, thank you for facilitating this. Uh, and our last thank you always goes to the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the common area podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it and leave a review as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today for everyone at WMRE. This is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WMRE or Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 